What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Builder? We are back again, and we got an episode today that I'm excited to bring to you because if you're somebody that you've been thinking about getting into tech, this is a conversation that you want to be a part of. So without further ado, please help me in welcoming to the show my brother, Mr. Jared Albritton. Jared, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? Yo, what's up, Dream Nation? Hope all is well. Uh, my name is Jared Albritton, host of the Big Tech Energy Podcast. You know, I've been in tech since 2006. My whole thing is about diversity in tech, empowering you to believe that you can do things in tech, make money in tech. And I just want to see our community get generational wealth. So I uh, won't go too long with the intro. I'll just let you, you know, get into the conversation. First question I got for you is, what's your dream? Yeah, man. So my dream is um, I want to see the black community. I got to keep it a buck. The black community, but all communities understand the opportunities in tech, feel empowered about the opportunities in tech. Um, and once you're empowered and you believe you can do it, then we can really change the way that tech looks in terms of the makeup of it. I want to see uh, children understand AI, software engineering, and cybersecurity, get six-figure jobs straight out of high school, you know, eliminate the whole college debt situation and just create a pipeline where our children are just getting these six-figure jobs and then they're turning that into finding and founding startups and then hiring our community, IPOing, and then just repeating the cycle, creating venture firms, uh, investing in our community. And um, I just want to see, like, you know, we're at Invest Fest. Shout out to you on stage. I saw you. Yeah, shout out to Troy Rashad. I mean, <laughs> the whole EYL family, I mean, that was, that was an event, right? Oh, man, that was epic. That was epic. That made my dreams even bigger. Because when I was uh, listening to Robert F. Smith and Diddy, they're talking about, like, you know, nobody's going to save us. Hmm. We got to save ourselves. We got to invest in ourselves. And that's what I've been focused on. Like, a lot of people were like, Jared, why are you doing a brand focused only on the black community? You're selling yourself short. You're leaving money on the table. I'm like, well, my purpose really is to help us as a, you know, historically disadvantaged community close that wealth gap, close that generational wealth ownership gap uh, by just letting people know opportunities that they don't know about. And once we know it, we can kill it uh, because there's a lot of non-tech jobs you can get in tech that we are really, really good at just naturally. Like I've been in sales and people don't understand that sales is so lucrative in tech, especially software. Um, you can make million dollar W2s. Um, you can make your own schedule. You can be anywhere in the world. As long as you're closing deals, you're invaluable or valuable or whatever you want to say, right? So. When it came to InvestFest and I heard Diddy say like, there's only 13 billionaires, we need more. Hmm. The only way we're gonna become billionaires is to do the Robert F. Smith play. You know what I'm saying? Not the only way, but one of the best ways beyond media and entertainment is to really become tech entrepreneurs, tech leaders. And it starts with getting in tech, getting high paying jobs, and then learning the game from the inside creating our own products, putting it to market. And as creative as we are, our ability to sell, our ability to market, I feel like we can 
exponentially increase the amount of billionaires and millionaires in our community. And then also the educational gap that's happening in terms of school districts. If we can pump tech education to supplement the lack of education they're getting in those school districts and inner cities, they're going to be set up to get those six figure jobs. So that's my dream, man. I just want us to be rich, happy, uh, married. So that's something I'll talk about a yeah. little bit because that's a new mission for me after seeing all the gender wars lately. I feel like there's an opportunity once we are empowered and men don't have to worry about 50-50, we can give the women the soft life. Marriage can be a lot easier and get the women the big rings. The women are killing it in tech. I want my brothers to kill it too. So anyways, I'll stop there. I don't want to go too long, but that's my dream is to see us win in tech so that we can win as a community and that we can, um, you know, just live happier, healthier, uh, more prosperous lives. Man, I love it. I love it. There's so much that I want to un untackle or, or uh, go deeper into. The first question that I got for you, and shout out to what you said as far as Robert F. Smith. So what I got from that conversation was that we're not playing big enough. And that goes to your point as far as tech, right? And the reason why I say we're not playing big enough is because he had said on there, if you remember, he said, you know, everybody that's out here trying to get, well, he said you guys are out here trying to get, you know, let's say $400,000 houses, right? You're trying to get loans for $400,000. He said, I'm doing the exact same thing. He said, I'm just doing on the corporate scale that I'm get out here getting $400 million loans, right? And I was like, man, that's what stood out in my mind is like, we're not playing big enough, right? And I, I remember the first time I ever heard this and, and it's shout out to um, Grant Cardone, who we've had on the show as well. But he talked about, you know, the 10X rule, right? And how a lot of the times our minds are so trained to just think from scarcity or we can maybe just go this far. But if you could think bigger, you can achieve more, right? A lot of the times it takes the same amount of energy to be able to achieve something for a million dollars as it does for a thousand or even a hundred thousand dollars, right? So that's what I heard from what you just said. And I think that's fire. Before we get into to everything of what you said you want to talk about today, which I'm excited to learn about as well, and I'm sure somebody that's out there watching or listening is, let's talk about how did you get into tech? Give us a little bit of your background, your story. Like when you grew up as a child, as a young kid, right? Young Jared, were you five years old? Did you have that creative you know, side of your brain always working as far as engineering, robotics, all of that? Or where did, where did tech come into your play? Yeah, man, uh, I never thought about getting into tech. I didn't go to college for tech. Um, it was really just serendipitous and luck, to be honest. Um, so, like, basically, I went to college, University of Texas at Austin. Shout out to the Ad Hook'em. Uh, we just beat Alabama. Uh, but I went to University of Texas and I thought, all right, if I'm going to get a degree, I should get a degree in business. So, my dad was a doctor and he was just like, yo, this doctor stuff ain't no joke. It ain't like the amount of school, the malpractice, insurance, it's a pain. And if I could do it all over again, I would have gotten a business. So I was like, all right, bet. Anything I do, if I have a business degree, a finance degree, I should be able to utilize that foundation to do whatever else I need to do. Uh, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, when I was on campus at the University of Texas, somebody came up to me, it's like, hey, there's college students making 10, 20, $30,000 in the summer. And I was like, say less, let's do it. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that just comes from confidence instilled in my, from me and my parents. So shout out to them. Um, I may be getting into that later. I found out I was selling books door to door, 80 hours a week in some random part of the country. That was the job. Uh, but I said, you know what, if somebody else can do it, I can do it too. So long story short, I did one summer in Kentucky. 
one of the hardest things I ever did, knocking on doors, getting rejected all the time, didn't sell a book for like three weeks. I'm in Kentucky, so I got the cops calling me all the time. Like there's a black man walking around the neighborhood, knocking on doors. Um, but I just wouldn't quit because I didn't want to, I wanted to prove to my parents that I wasn't some spoiled kid and I was actually mm -hmm. down to grind. And I wanted to pay my way through college the way that they did. Cause they grew up dirt poor, Arkansas, poverty, all that. So I was like, you know what? I want to show them that I'm not some like spoiled kid. So I kept going, would sell books to like the chief of police, sold books when they were trying to like, you know, figure out what I'm doing. Like, here's what I'm doing. What kids, what grade are your kids in and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the PTA president, the coach of the football team. I became ingrained in the neighborhood and I ended up making like 15,000 my first summer, 20,000 my second. Third summer, went out to Miami, sold Yellow Page advertising for Florida National Universities, Yellow Pages. So I realized then I'm good at sales. Yeah. Uh, I'm really good at sales conversations, understanding what people's problems are and prescribing a solution. Hmm. Uh, so I was just going for sales jobs and I was at the career expo at the University of Texas, just going booth to booth, being like, hey, I have this crazy sales experience. Do you guys have sales offerings? And IBM was like, wow, your story and your situation is crazy. Like I would never have sold books door to door. Like you're insane. Uh, we don't have any jobs for you because you know we're looking for MBA hires, but because we think you're pretty special, we'll fly you out to Atlanta for a diversity recruiting event, and you just get to meet the managers and we'll see what happens. So I flew out there, and when I found out how much money you can make at IBM, uh, how much access you have to executives, these boardrooms at IBM, and then I was obsessed with the show Apprentice yeah. uh, before Trump was you know, the Trump we know now. And so I was just determined to move to New York City. More important to me was New York City and a sales job. That's it. So I basically said, look, I know I can't get the job because I don't have an MBA or three to five years work experience, but I would love the opportunity to fly out to New York and meet the management team. They're like, all right, you know what? We'll fly you out. You're not going to get the job, but I think it'll be cool for you. And I think it's good for them just to know who you are. We'll put you in the file. So one of my mentors, a uh, black man, professor, sales professor at the University of Texas was like, um, all right, so you're not supposed to get the job, but try this, you have nothing to lose. At the end of the interview, look the, uh, look the manager in the eye and ask for the role. And don't blink, don't look away, don't say nothing else, just ask for the role. So I studied my ass off about you know the software, the value proposition, the use cases, the case studies, all of that. And I crushed the interview. And at the end, I was like, look, I know I don't have three to five years experience. I was answering the objections before they come up. Right. I know I don't have three to five years experience. Um, I know I don't have an MBA, but what I do have is a work ethic that's gonna outmatch any other candidates that you're interviewing. Um, I have a passion for this role, passion for this software, passion for the solutions that you guys offer. And for those reasons, can I have the position? And he was like, wow. I've never had anybody ask me for the job at the end of an interview. And obviously I can't give you the job because there's people literally in the lobby waiting to talk to me about this job. But I appreciate that because if you can ask for the job here, you'll ask the CEO of Walmart for the multi-million dollar contract. So we'll be in touch. And then I got a call from the recruiter at IBM being like, dog, I don't know how you did it, but they went ahead and gave you an offer. And so, 
I mean, I could have just said like I got into sales or whatever, but I just kind of want to share that story because yeah. um, ultimately it's like, although things may not be laid out as an option, closed mouths don't get fed and you, you know, miss the shots you don't take. So I took the shot, got an enterprise sales role at IBM at 23 years old. So when it comes to tech sales, you start off as an SDR, you're basically uh, cold calling and booking meetings for an enterprise rep. And then you get into inside sales where you're closing deals, but you don't get to leave your office. Then you do like small to medium business where you have a smaller quota and you get to go outside and then you do commercial and then you get to enterprise. I skipped all those steps and got to enterprise at 23. So I'm trying to help others skip steps the way I skip steps to get to the money faster. Uh, doing that in sales is not as easy as what I did. My shit was kind of a unicorn thing. But when it comes to like cybersecurity, software engineering, you can make six figures like straight out of high school. So that's exactly what I'm trying to do is just help people skip those steps. But that's how I got into tech. Kind of a fluke. I was looking for sales roles. I got an offer from Progressive Insurance and IBM. I chose IBM and uh, the rest was history. Um, President's Club, multiple years in a row because I worked everybody. Um, sales is about like just being like one, curious, two, um, intentional, strategic, but working hard, calling, emailing, LinkedIn, and getting in front of decision makers, and then understanding what are they worried about, what keeps them up at night, what are their goals and aspirations by asking the right questions, just listening. And then once you listen, you repeat back what they said, and then you tell them how you do it for other people like them, and then they're like, shoot, I want to feel that way too. I want to see uh, increase in revenue, decrease in costs, decrease in security threats, increase in compliance so I stay out of jail. Um, and then they're just like, all right, well, how much is it? Create a business case. All right, it costs half a million dollars, but we'll make you 1.5 or we'll save you 1.5. Easy decision. $500,000 deal. I make a huge commission off of it. It's a win-win. Once we close a deal, implement it, make it successful, they keep buying. That's sales. That's my career, basically. That man right there, that was a whole masterclass right there. <laughs> and I'm sure somebody right now is thinking about if they don't have a degree, like me, if they don't have a degree, they like, man, I could go back to college, get this degree real quick, and then I could get into tech and get into sales. You don't need a degree. <laughs> That's what, that was exactly where we were gonna go next. But the one thing I wanted, before we hop into that, is what I took away from that was number one, you know, there's a saying out there that says, if you fail to prepare, you're prepared to fail, right? So when you talked about, hey, I did all of my research up front. I knew that the questions, the objections that they were already gonna have. I knew everything about the products, the solutions. So I think for people, like people ask me, how have you gotten so-and-so on your podcast, right? Or how did you guys start up these uh, preschools, these daycares, whatever the things that I'm doing, how did you kill it in real estate? All the time, I always were, I always was prepared to know more about whatever the topic was than someone else, right? When people ask me about real estate, for me, I didn't want to just go in as a retail real estate agent that can only help people buy and sell houses, right? I wanted to know about the investing side. So if you said, hey, you know what? I just bought my house two years ago. I'm like, it's all good, Jared. Hey, have you thought about, you know, investing in the real estate to be able to get your tax, you know, benefits and be able to depreciate that property, right? All of these other things. So I think that's how I was able to be successful. And that's what I heard. The second thing is there's always, so the first thing was make sure that you're prepared in whatever situation 
you're going into, right? But the second thing is there's always a way, right? And that just, like for you, you just said it wasn't black and white. You knew that you were set up to hear no, but it was like, nah, if I can go in and I can kill it on the front end, on the back end when I ask, if nothing else is gonna make me stand out. So he'll remember me if ever another opportunity comes about and they're like, yo, I need a unicorn. Like you said, right? This is a unicorn of a situation. Because a lot of the times when we need, all we know is we need a result. How can we get there? We don't really know. But if we know we got somebody that can get that result and they're a little bit more of a unicorn, I know where to look. So those are the two takeaways for anybody that's watching, listening to this right now. I think that that's what they got to take away from that. Now to that second part of what I was going to ask you as far as a degree, because you said in the beginning, right? You went to UT, even before we got on here, you were talking about a degree. I've heard you talk about MBAs and everything else. So in the tech world, for somebody that's listening right now and they say, I want to get into tech, I definitely believe that AI is taking over. I definitely believe that software and everything is only going to grow at a more rapid pace. But I don't have a degree, nor do I know anything about tech as of right now. Where should somebody be starting? Where should they look? Like, give us that background. Where do you, somebody comes to you, they see you at a conference, they say, I love everything you just said, Jared, but I'm, I'm ripe in this thing. I'm a nurse. I don't know nothing about tech. Where do they start? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so the only reason I got a degree was back in 2006, I'm kind of an old head. You had to get a degree. It just was what it was. Now in 2023, with the internet and all things like e-commerce, etc., you don't need a degree anymore. So that's a blessing. Where do you start? So the first thing I would start is by researching company career pages, the different departments of those career pages, and identifying what is something you are really interested in actually doing. Don't get into tech for the money, because you can make the money and be miserable. And if you're miserable and if you're not really passionate about it, your other employees on your team or other applicants that are more passionate, they're going to take your job. So that's the first thing. That's the thing. Like, I don't just say like, oh, just go to this boot camp. Not like really do some research in terms of the different career opportunities. So the career pages, like if you go to search Google careers or Salesforce careers uh, or whatever industry that you're in, uh, careers. So the first thing I'll say is this. Number one, if you're trying to break into tech, look at companies that are in the industry you're coming from. So if you were a nurse, look at med tech. If you're in real estate, look at real estate tech. If you um, are media entertainment, look at media tech because you're a subject matter expert in the industry, which will help you uh, build rapport and makes you less of a risk because they're like, all right, we don't have to train them on the vocabulary or this industry. They got that. We just need to train them on the tech stuff. Uh, so that's number one. And number two, start researching different roles. Uh, YouTube University is a great place. Uh, Coursera, classcentral.com, um, Career Karma. Shout out to Ruben Harris, the CEO of Career yeah. Karma. They got boot camps for days. Uh, Black Genius Academy, shout out to Google and Career Karma for coming together. That's a free platform. Um, Entra, I have a community called Tech Careers where I have tech roles, tech events. Uh, free certifications all within my platform. So we'll throw it in the caption so people can go to there. Yeah. But first figure out what is the role that you want to do and why and figure out a story behind why you want to do it. The reason why I was really good in my interview is I had a story as to why I'm passionate about doing the job. Mm. That makes you less risky. From there, all those resources that I listed off are like free or paid resources. Now, if you want to get into tech sales that I'm in, 
I highly recommend Course Careers. It's a least expensive bootcamp in terms of getting skilled up in tech sales. But what it does is it gives you a competitive advantage when you start interviewing because you understand what pipeline is, you understand what a CRM system is, you understand how to prospect, you understand sales methodology, etc. So you're going to go into it with the skills that they would have to train you on. So you're going to look less risky. Even if you don't have any experience, they're going to be like, okay, this person understands it. The other thing that I think is great about course careers is the fact that on the back end, they have companies that are literally cherry picking uh, students in the database. So they're like, okay, LinkedIn resume, look through them. They're proactively reaching out to students uh, that uh, graduate course careers before they even are interviewing or reaching out. So, um, and to be very transparent, I am an affiliate, but I'm an affiliate because I really do believe in it. Um, so definitely, you know, if you go to my, you know, uh, website, direct.me forward slash big tech energy, you'll find a link there, learn more about it. You can do a free uh, trial of it. And if it makes sense for you, go for it. But um, yeah, I could, I could keep going, but like ultimately though, once you figure out the role and the industry, then you just reverse engineer, okay, what are the certifications needed? How do you do that? You go to the job description and you go straight to minimum requirements. Oh, I need to know C++. I need to know Excel, this, that, and the other. Learn that and go into the interview and you're gonna crush it. Cause like you said, preparation breeds confidence. And that's why my podcast, I want people to feel empowered by seeing people like us and being like, okay, they can do it, I can do it too. And there's actually a tangible path to doing it and it's laid out for you. So there's really no like guessing. So yeah, and watch my podcast, Big Tech Energy. That'll prepare you, that'll figure, it, it'll help you figure it out. Help you figure it out. Now for somebody that is first looking at, um, okay, I'm thinking about going into tech, I'm thinking about going into real estate, all these things, but, I do need to make X amount of money because I live in New York or I live in California. So if I go into tech, if it's sales, obviously a lot of the times, most all of the time, it's unlimited on how much you can make, depending on what company. And if you feel like you've hit your cap, you can find a different company, right? With a different compensation plan. But for somebody that's just starting out and they want to make a good amount of money, um, what's a number that you would say if you're first coming out in your first year what are they looking at? how much did you make in your first year when you got, came out in tech sales yeah so I moved to New York so the cost of living is a little higher so mm -hmm. my salary is higher but I still got a very low salary compared to my colleagues so I made uh, 70,000 gotcha. uh, straight out of college but um, you know my colleagues were you know making like six-figure bases so they gave me like a college you know uh, you know salary but also had the ability to double my salary if I hit my number for the year, which I did. So I ended up making like 130, 140. When it comes to like software engineering, cybersecurity, um, and those other tech more technical roles, you can expect to make somewhere between like 80 to 100, no matter where you are in the United States. Uh, that's why they're so competitive. But um, one thing I forgot to mention, and it's a huge, huge, huge part of my whole uh, message is uh, referrals. So basically the best way to break into tech is getting referred by somebody that's already in the company. Um, and so you're going to be applying against 50 to hundred people, especially in this economy with all the layoffs for some of these entry level tech roles. So the best way to stand out is to go to conferences like 
Afrotech, black men in tech, render, etc. And go up to people and be like, hey, I'm looking to break into the company you're at, Microsoft. And, um, you know, I have this much experience, uh, this much work ethic, whatever the case is. I would love to send you my resume, my LinkedIn, and the job rec, and I would love for you to submit me for the role. And so what people need to understand is in tech, a lot of these companies give uh, referral bonuses to employees. Mm -hmm. So I, I made like, I don't know, $20,000 in my career referring black people into my companies. Uh, and this is also a black strategy as well uh, because they do care about diversity in tech and tech. Like they really, really do. It's not like lip service. They actually want to see more of us, but they want to see more of us that are qualified, mm -hmm. which is a big part of what I talk about. But basically they're trying to hire somebody for a software engineering role they pay a staffing firm 20% of the first year salary to get that software engineer placed with a staffing firm, right? So $100,000 role, they pay the staffing firm $20,000, all right? But if an employee refers them into the company and they throw the employee 3,000, they just save 17,000. Plus they have somebody that cares about the company, wants to see the company succeed, referring the person in, their reputation is also being tied to it. And for the recruiter and the hiring manager, if that recruit is a flop, well, Casanova said he was dope. I mean, I was gonna go with that girl, Julie, but you know, we, we, we trusted Casanova. So it kind of gives them somebody to throw the blame on. Uh, especially if it's a black person referring another black person, there is a little bit of that guilt. And also that, you know what? It's hard to find us because LinkedIn, there's no like find black employees. Like it's just not easy. So when we refer another one of us in, if we have a good reputation at the company, they're usually gonna, unless the person you referred in sucks, they're usually gonna go with you so that they can hit their diversity quota and say, look, we increase the amount of women employees, black employees, Hispanic employees by this much. Like it's a metric that's really important, especially in the startup space especially when you're raising money. So uh, getting referrals is gonna get you a higher paying role and it's also gonna get you more offers and it's also going to be just uh, an easier type of uh, entryway. Cause if you're going against everybody else, the problem is you're probably going against a referral and they're probably gonna get the job over you. So I know that's kind of a long answer, but um, that is the absolute best way to break into tech. And then, then when it comes to expectations, if you do that strategy and add a boot camp on top of it, you should be making six figures in your first role. But if you are just going in cold, you probably make like 70 to 90. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes 100% okay. sense. And I love it because you talked about a couple of things that we always preach about. Number one, it's the environment that you surround yourself with. So if you're trying to break into tech and you didn't go to a conference, you haven't, you know, it could be a local, it could be a regional, it could be a national conference. Obviously, the bigger the conference, the more options that you have to being able to walk up to somebody and be like, hey, I would love to break into your company. That was gonna be my second question of, you know, how incentivized is it, right? Because a lot of the times, especially in the entrepreneur space, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people, you know, they kind of hold things near and dear to their heart, right? You're just walking up to somebody saying, hey, I wanna pick your brain. You gotta find somebody that's pretty selfless, right? And there's a lot of people out there, but a lot of the times that information isn't privy, but it sounds like in the tech world, right? If you go in and especially if you got some credentials, like you said, like you went to a boot camp, 
somebody else can respect that because they went through a boot camp. If you say, hey, I'm from L.A., find a way to connect with that person, right? Don't just walk up to a random person. Even at least look at them on LinkedIn, see where they're from, see what they like. Hey, I see that you're into, it could be Nipsey, it could be whatever it is, right? Music, whatever. Say, hey, I see that you're into this, you made a post about it, you shared, you liked, which is some of the beauty of being on LinkedIn because they show you some of that stuff, right? But at least if you're, again, prepared before you just walk up to somebody randomly and say, hey, I want to break into your company, those types of things can help you build a relationship. And then on the last, on the on the back end, like you said, when somebody gets hired, the thing I love about it is all those things of what you already said, but you also go in there and you have some form of relationship or mentorship with the person who referred you, right? So that could be sometimes, because a lot of times you get in and for people, let's say transplants, because for me, we came here obviously from Omaha, right? So we're meeting people that worked at Union Pacific or any of these other big companies that came to Omaha. A lot of the times they get there and they feel like that they don't have a relationship with anybody else inside of the workspace. So they don't feel like this is, because it's one thing you already got to build community outside of the workspace. But for now, if you came here from Kentucky, from Texas, wherever, and you're in Omaha, right, or wherever you're living, if you came, and then all of a sudden you're saying, one, I got to make friends outside of the workplace, but then two, I got to make friends inside of work, that can feel real daunting. You know what I'm saying? That could be like, yo, it's so if you have somebody that referred you and hopefully they're in your, you know, your office, your department, something like that, that could help out a lot, I would imagine. Absolutely. So like the reason why I like tech conferences is because it takes out the friction of like hitting them up on a DM and going through that process. They like can feel your energy, look you in the eyes. They're feeling good because this is just like a feel good environment, especially black tech conferences. Like I feel like black tech conferences there's not a lot of people sizing each other up or mm. trying to flex on each other. It's really uh, open and inclusive, like, hey, brother, hey, sister, what you up to? How can I help? Like, that's the energy. Yeah. So it's just a good place to start, in my opinion. But um, if you do hit people up on LinkedIn, one, don't ever ask to pick anybody's brain. That sounds painful. It sounds like you're a taker. Do not do that. Never use that phrase. Um, what I try to do is... And this is what I always tell people like recruiters, what do they want? They want to fill positions. So what I do before I reach out to a recruiter asking like, Hey, can you consider me for a role is I research their LinkedIn and research the company page and find what are the company, what are the positions that they're recruiting for? Then I think, who do I know in my network that is looking for a role uh, that has the experience and can qual be qualified for this role? So you're a recruiter, I hit you up and be like, hey Casanova, I see you're looking for a software engineer with seven plus years experience. Uh, my frat brother actually uh, just left uh, Microsoft and is in the market for a new role. Um, are you open to me making an introduction? I'll send his resume, his LinkedIn, or just like, here's his LinkedIn, let me know if you like the introduction. They're gonna see the LinkedIn and they're gonna be like, hell yeah, I wanna talk to this person. All right. You know what I'm saying? You make the connection. Your frat brother's appreciative because you're putting them in front of a, a recruiter. Um, the recruiter's appreciative because you're making their job easier because they're reaching out to these people all the time and not getting mm -hmm. any responses. Like I get hit about recruiters like five times a day. It's got to be a hard job for them, right? Make that connection. Then you're like, by the way, I'm actually looking at this role as well for myself, and I would love for you to like refer me in if possible. Mm -hmm. They're gonna say, of course, man. Like right. you led with value, right? So that's one strategy. The next one is if you're reaching out to an employee asking for a referral, 
I one, remind them that they get referral bonuses or at least make that your offer. Like, hey, if you get referral bonuses, I'm gonna be the easiest referral money you've ever made, mm. you know? Um, here's my LinkedIn, here's my resume, here's the job I'm applying to, all in one place. They don't have to multiple conversations, all in one place. But I know you don't know me, so if you would like to get to know me better before referring me and vouching for me, I would love to take you on a virtual coffee date or a virtual lunch and just let you know more about me, answer any questions, and then we can get this referral money, I can get a job and we can toast when I start. Mm, you know what I'm saying? I love it. It's kind I of assumptive, it. but it's like, look, I value your time enough to where I'm gonna buy $20 of Seamless, so you can order like um, Jason's Deli and we can chat, or Starbucks and we can chat, but leave with value. It can't just be like, help me take, take, take. You gotta lead with giving. So it's either I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make referral money, or I'm gonna give you an opportunity for referral money and buy you lunch so you can feel comfortable about who I am. As they're eating that lunch and they're, they're eating that stuff that they really like, they order their fire shrimp dish or whatever, they're liking you already. Right. You're different because I promise you, they got hundreds of messages from people just asking for shit stuff. You're the first person that offered something. Last thing I'll say is this, my go-to at conferences, I'm giving you guys all my secret sauce. My go-to at conferences, if people come up to me or I come up to people, my question is, what do you do and how can I support what you're doing, right? Nobody asks that at these conferences. Yeah. Everybody's like, what do you do? Oh, I'm, and they start pitching you or they're like asking for stuff. So what do you do? They're like, oh God, what do you know? Another one of these. And how can I support what you're doing? Oh, how can I support? Well, and they, they kind of fumble. They're not used to answering it. Uh, but it could be as simple as like, you know, sign up for my podcast or follow me here, whatever, like simple thing. Great. They're usually going to ask, and what are you doing? How can I support what you're doing? And I was like, well, I'm actually looking to break into, you know, tech. Uh, I just finished this boot camp. Um, I'm trying to get into this industry, which you actually are part of, or you don't say that. You're just like, I'm just, you know, and I would love to look at your career page find a role that's a good fit for me. And it would be awesome if you'd be open to be in a referral. Um, and, you know, hopefully you get referral money because uh, that would be a great win-win. Some people don't even know they get referral money. You're actually putting them on to the fact they can get referral money. Right. Because sometimes it's not even like publicized like that. So um, yeah, man, that, that's, that's the strategy. That's, that's how I kind of try to tell people to navigate because you'll stand out, you'll look different. And then when there's a hundred people applying, you'll be that one person with the asterisk saying Casanova recommended them. And, um, you know, they, they want to hire you for all those reasons I mentioned before. Man, there you, ha there you have it. That right there. Again, there's two master classes in one conversation. If you have not already, you better rewind this, take these notes and go find a conference, right? I don't care if it's local, if it's regional, if it's national, because now you've got the game of how. Just try it out. Try one. He gave you six, seven tactics. Try one of them out and just see if it helps you further wherever you are in life. Right. So that's so fire. I want to ask before, because I know there's a lot of people in here that are or a lot of people listening or watching that are entrepreneurs. Right. Yep. So they're not necessarily trying to get a job at a tech company. 
So let's change this conversation a little bit for somebody that says, you know what, I would love to found a SaaS, right? I would love to start up some type of technology around my industry. Like you said, I'm in real estate, I'm in nursing. Where do I start for that? Is there an accelerator that I should be looking at for that? And more importantly, what if I don't have any funding or financing, which you mentioned earlier? So where do we start if I'm a, a founder? Where do I start to look for this? And, and how do I open up those types of conversations? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think the autobiographies and the interviews of startup founders is a great place to start. Because okay. they talk about their journey of like, all right, I had an idea and then you know, I didn't know where to go and they probably got a mentor, but these autobiographies, these books, these YouTube videos, these are great ways to have like a virtual mentor in terms of a startup founder. Uh, but I would say, and then the conferences that focus on the startup space, those are good panels to be at and conversation to have. Ultimately, you gotta find an idea that solves a problem in a way that nobody else solves it. So a unique differentiated uh, solution um, so if you have that, then the next step is finding a technical co-founder, um, which in my opinion is the hardest part. If you want to get funding from like a VC or an angel and you don't have a technical co-founder, they're not going to be interested. Hmm. Um, so why, why is that so important? Because if you don't have a technical co-founder, somebody that can actually build the product, iterate the different sprints to improve the problems, improve, improve the products and, you know, basically uh, be part of the journey without them getting paid tons of money. Um, what you're going to run into is you're going to constantly have to hire out software development companies, contractors, people that are for better or worse, just interested in invoicing you as much as possible. Mm. So every time you try to iterate, it costs you more money, more money, more money. So investors are like, man, that's going to be a, a uh, a black hole of money just being burnt if they don't have somebody that's a technical co-founder that just has a small salary but equity and so they're not working for free they're working towards having a huge payoff on their equity but they believe in the product they're hand in hand with the founder the other the non-technical co-founder who's usually good at sales good at fundraising good at marketing good at team building all that stuff. The technical co-founder is just the person that can code and build it. But um, having a technical co-founder that's willing to work for free, but it's really equity, makes one, the investment go way longer. Two, makes the ability to adapt and pivot way smoother. Um, and uh, and yeah, that, that's that's basically it. That's, that's the key. Because um, these uh, app developers, they would love nothing more than to spend all your money and be like, ah, it's gonna cost another 50,000. Ah, it's gonna cost another 100,000. Versus somebody that has equity, uh, they wanna get this thing up and running fast because they want their equity to actually be something. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. So that's, a, man, there's so many questions that comes from that because especially in the gig economy that we live in right now, hiring those contractors, those freelancers, like you said, but then that makes sense. And I'm thinking like, what if you were to go find, like, I'm sure there's some startups that obviously, you know, they go hire people from Upwork or Fiverr or wherever else. So let's, let's go off of, you know, you need a technical co-founder. 
in that, how much should I be looking to pay this person? And somebody's like, okay, I need it, but I've already built out the idea, right? In my mind, I know what I want it to look like. And now I'm going to a random person, right? And saying, hey, I want you to be my technical co-founder because I believe that you can build this out. But then I, I wanna give you equity, one, what should I be looking at giving that person an equity? And two, why would they accept this, right? Seeing as I only have an idea and they're saying, yeah, on the back end, but we can make nothing off of this, right? So like, I guess, what's that conversation look like if you were the person that was going to do it as an entrepreneur? Yeah, the big reason why technical co-founders join a person with a vision, the reason why investors invest in the person with the vision, because the person has that vision and they believe in it. So that's the why. The why is they can they can really imagine they're ringing the bell on the NASDAQ and because there's so many great stories, like there's an investor that invested in Uber in the seed stage, $5,000. When he IPO'd, his $5,000 turned to $24 million. So that's the why. The why is you can become exponentially generationally wealthy if you are a founder that takes a startup to IPO or a startup to acquisition. So this person that is uh, recruiting the, um, the team, they have to be able to really illustrate, here's how we get to that point and reverse engineer, this is what it's gonna take to get there. And whether it's you or somebody else, I'm gonna get there, hmm. right? But you have the skills, we have the chemistry, let's do it together. And so once you have the technical co-founder, you ask them like, all right, how much is it gonna take to take you from doing contracting? So where do you find technical co-founders? The same place you find them to contract. But instead of, but you say, yo, instead of us doing a contract and you work with this contracting company, let's create the next Uber, let's create the next Google, let's create the next Apple. Um, and this is how we can do it. So leave the company, but how much would it take for you to leave and be comfortable? Um, and based off of how much you ask for, that's how much equity you get. So the more you ask up front, the less equity you get. The less you ask up front, the more equity you get. It's mm. kind of like a sliding scale. So do you want to go for the big payout and take a risk up front? Or do you want to get paid really well now and take less in the future? Because as a founder, I'm kind of cool with giving a pay, big payout now. And as long as they can get me to that place, because that preserves more equity for myself and equity I can give out to other key players. Um, so that's the negotiation. Now, exactly what percentage, that's just dependent, right? But once you figure out that number, then you're like, all right, in order for me to get you this money, we need to create a proof of concept. So I'll pay you this much to just get the proof of concept up. And then once you get the proof of concept up, that's when I start like reaching out to uh, different accelerators. So like Y Combinator, a16 or Y Combinator, Techstars, those are like the top two. Um, but there's others out there as well. Um, so you can reach out to accelerators and become part of their accelerator program. And, you know, they can help you with the build, the marketing, and the relationships. Or you can just start reaching out to the VCs yourself, the A16Zs and the Harlem Capitals and um, all those different spots. And just send them your pitch deck and show them that you have a technical co-founder, show them here's the path to getting to a billion dollar unicorn, and here's the amount of money we need, and here's what we're willing to give you, 
uh, in terms of equity in order to get that from you. And here's what you need to do for us to get us there. And here's what we're going to do with the money to get your money from, you know, uh, $500,000 investment to a multi-million dollar, potentially billion dollar uh, repayment. Because these VCs, they just want like make 10 investments. They just need two to hit. Right. Those two to hit will make up for the other eight that don't. So you got to be able to convince them that yours is the one that's going to hit. And they think all 10 are going to hit, but stuff happens, right? Right. But they have to believe in you as a person. So like how you show up, how you speak about it, how you can enroll people in your vision, that's going to be big. Uh, and that's why I think tech sales is a great place for people to start that want to start a startup because at least you have the ability to pitch, to prospect, um, to ask the right questions, understand what the VCs care about, and then you're only presenting the information that they care about. So like, I'm not about just making people employees. I'm glad you pivoted to entrepreneurship, but if you're a non-title co-founder, get really good at sales so you can sell everybody into your vision and then get a really good technical co-founder that believes in it. And then you two just have to just be hand in hand uh, but yeah, I mean, that's on a high level, there's more details to it, but on a high level, that's how you do it. Man, it's so, so fire. I love that you said that. Um, and yeah, I didn't know how important, but it makes sense for anybody that's listening, watching this right now, right? Of why a technical co-founder is, you know, so important and how you can pitch the vision to them. And again, do you want it now or do you want it on a back end? I think that obviously it puts the ball back in their court, but as long as they believe in the vision, you at least know you got them with you. And the more that you continue to show up and say, Hey, here's what else I thought of. Here's what else I thought of. That's the way that you can bring them obviously in stronger to where they say, you know what? I am willing to take more on the back end and then that reduces your risk on the front end right that you guys can get it get it done last thing i'll say is like recruiting a board is also dope uh, and it's also a huge leverage so like letting big executives and power players in the space that can have the relationships to make the launch easier um, is huge so strategic advisors strategic invest uh, strategic board members Board members have relationships with these investors, these VCs and these angels and be like, look, here's my idea. Here's how I'm going to execute it, sell them on the vision. And if I'm going to bring you on the board and give you equity, I need you to give me meetings with this, um, you know, with these industry leaders so that we can get sales. Or I need you to make introductions to A16Z the way you did for those last startups you worked with. Mm. Um, so it's all about relationships and building a team strategically so the board can block and tackle for you and you're not just some random person reaching out. The board is doing it on your behalf. Or if you're trying to get some sales and revenue in, the board has relationships with the decision makers. They're like, look, this product is the next big thing. I put my, my thing behind it and we need logos in order to get this thing popping. So we make you successful, you make us successful because we'll have logos that show these investors that we're the real deal. These logos also bring new customers. So it's relationship based. So that's that's key to getting aboard. Man, so so much value in this episode. I'm so glad whoever's listening, watching, I'm telling you, I'm so glad that you're here because you're getting an opportunity to change your life 
and turn a dream into a reality. My brother, this has been a phenomenal conversation. The last question that I want to ask you, and it's something that I ask everyone, um, is I used to always ask the question, um, for anyone uh, that, you know, what would they change in life if they could? And many people would say, you know, I wouldn't change anything. Because why? It's because this is what got me here, right? Yeah. And I always called it out and I'm like, nah, we would all change something, right? Like for me, I would change losing my mom. She was my biggest supporter. But I've learned to phrase it in a different way. And that way is, you know, on your path to your journey to where you are today, if there was one thing going back that you wish that you would have implemented sooner to accelerate your path, what would that one thing be? Man, so my thing would be, I would say no more to people asking for like, so basically um, I, did, I did a stint for five years while I was, I was doing like artist management while doing software sales. And I had like such a big heart and also big dreams and big ambition. But what I didn't realize is not everybody thinks like me. I can't expect me from everybody else. So I was investing a ton of money into people that didn't have the work ethic, the integrity, or the drive that I did. And I got used a lot because I just looked at the best of people. So if I could do anything differently, I would have took like the hundreds of thousands that I invested in people and invested it into real estate invested it into the stock market, invested it into crypto, invested it into myself. Um, and, you know, I have no regrets because uh, the relationships that I built through that experience were priceless and, you know, um, I had fun while doing it. I was in the studio, you know, feeling cool. I was at the Grammys and the CSAC and this and that. But ultimately, when you say yes to everything, you're having to say no to other things. And that's something that I really, you know, looking back on, I wish I would have said no to certain things in terms of investing in the people. And also, um, you can't save everybody, you know, like I, I want to save everybody. And when I have a lot of money, I feel so abundant, which is why I've been successful. I have an abundant mindset. I'm like, whatever I lose, I can get it back. But you can't just be throwing money out to everybody and then have an empty cup. Because once you have an empty cup, you can't really pour into other people you can't even pour into yourself right and uh what i found is the people that i helped um really were users and takers and uh, when i needed something in return it was just like oh man jerry you'll figure it out you got it um so it took me to like last year or two to be disciplined to say no to set boundaries and to make sure that anything that I say yes to is getting me to my five year, 10 year, 20 year plan. And it's not just because it feels good or, you know, I just wanna, wanna help. Uh, it has to be strategic. Like be a good person, be helpful, but do it in a way that sustains yourself and sets yourself up and your future wife, kids, husband, whatever, to have an amazing life. and. Yeah, that's that's what I would change for sure. Love it, love it. Well, there you have it, Dream Nation. Again, we got so much value in this episode. My brother, I want to be the first one, if no one else has told you today, to say thank you and I appreciate you. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's watching, listening right now that feels the exact same way. And so the last thing I want to ask is for anybody who wants to stay connected with you, of course, 
like you said, will drop in the uh, in the captions, you know, all the links to your stuff. But tell the people, for anybody who wants to stay directly connected with you, where can they find you at? Yeah, so uh, if you go to direct.me forward slash big tech energy, uh, you'll find all the links to my uh, YouTube channel, my LinkedIn, my Twitter, my Instagram, all that. I wanted to shout out the people on my shirt, Black in HR. You talked about preparation. So Black in HR is 9,000 Black HR professionals. HR, the gatekeepers in terms of employment. They know the hiring cycles, the firing cycles. They know what your resume needs to look like, what mm -hmm. the interview for, the politics. So there's somebody I've partnered with to sponsor my podcast, but definitely tap into Black in HR if you're looking for resume reviews, interview prep, or career strategy, and they have a job board where they refer people in, and the best referral you can get is from an HR professional, especially mm -hmm. a Black HR professional bringing in a Black employee. Um, yeah, executive teams kind of just don't say no. So um, shout out to that. Uh, but um, Instagram, Dr. J, D-O-C-T-A-J. would love for y'all to tap in with me on Instagram. Um, and then on my direct.me forward slash Big Tech Energy, there's two links that I really want to point out. One is my free ebook. Uh, it's about my journey of breaking into tech. The things that I talked about here just kind of like wrapped up in a little bit more detail. And also has a resume guide and a LinkedIn guide in it. It's free. Um, and then you'll be tapped in with me whenever events or discounts or whatever's happening. Uh, the other thing is on Entra, it's a tech and web three professional networking app. I have a community called Tech Careers. It's completely free. And I post the tech events that you should go to, the roles that you can apply to, the certifications and courses that are available. And then there's also like networking and things of that nature. And I do live streams and live podcasts within that platform. Uh, I'm an equity owner in that platform as well. So uh, you supporting it supports me and that's why I make it free. But uh, yeah, man, and then last but not least, Big Tech Energy podcast. I have like 15 episodes I haven't released yet. Just got a content distribution deal. So I'm about to start releasing more consistently with the, all the stuff that has to happen. The way that you're doing it, I'm about to do it that way. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about the content that I have that I haven't released. I'm also excited about the InvestFest interviews that I did uh, as well. So um, yeah, those are the places where you can get in touch with me. And uh, yeah, look forward to y'all um, hopefully getting jobs or getting funding or your kids getting into tech via the resources that I provide. That's the whole goal. And uh, I'm not as worried about how I can make money from it. Um, that is you know, handled with my day job, which I just have to shout out real quick. Shout out VideoBot, I'm employee number 16, enterprise sales director in North America, and uh, we're gonna change the way that people interact with websites and how people convert on websites. So um, if you are interested as a business owner in converting more on your website, tap in with me. Um, it's gonna be a revolutionary product, and uh, I'm just, uh, that's where I'm gonna make my money. So everything else I'm doing is really just about for the community, for the people. I love it. Well, there you have it, people. Just as he said, tap in with him. But remember, Dream Nation and the dream we trust, but you gotta take action on something. And you gotta take action on that dream because we all have a dream. And without action, that dream that you have, it'll only merely be a fantasy. That's all for this one. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you 
to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. 